remember a story from when I was a kid. I was eight, and I requested a video game for my Nintendo 64 for Christmas. And Christmas morning came around, and I saw a very distinct Nintendo 64 game-sized box under the tree. And so I grabbed it, and I ripped it open, and it was the game that I wanted, and it was the correct title. Unfortunately, what I didn't realize when I'd asked for it was it also came out for the Sony PlayStation, which I did not own. And so eight-year-old Ryan is holding this gift that I'd received that I had asked for, and I didn't realize that I needed to be more specific. And so poor Ryan had to wait until the next day to take the game back and get the right one for the Nintendo 64 so that I can enjoy it for the rest of the year, which probably did take place. And so I wanted to start with this story because it's an example where I, as a kid, I expected to receive one gift or one thing, and yet I was given another gift that shared the same name, but it was a little bit different than what I had expected. And tonight, in the second week of Advent, our topic is justice. We're going to be talking about the gift of justice that comes through the birth of Jesus and through following Jesus ourselves. And for those in the time of Christ's birth and for those in this time here in 2020, this gift of justice from God can feel a little bit like my own Christmas story We expect that God is going to give justice, and yet the justice that we see and the justice that we so often receive looks a little bit different than what we'd asked for. In the book of Isaiah, there's a prophecy of a coming Messiah. And this prophecy was was how the people of God really shaped what their vision of this coming Messiah would be while they waited for their king. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. For us, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And later on in Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 4, it says, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. And so from the time of these prophecies until the birth of Jesus hundreds and hundreds of years later, many were, were awaiting And even expecting the Savior that Isaiah was talking about to be one who was a conquering king. 
They expected this Savior to ride in on a steed and enact justice for all of the wrong perpetrated against God's people. Those who had been oppressed would now be in charge. Those who had, now, who had no power would now be aligned with the all-powerful. But we don't find in, in any of Jesus' teachings a hint that he thought his ministry would bring about the fulfilling of Jewish, nationalistic, or military hopes. That simply wasn't the case. Jesus did not come to be a conquering king. In fact, the birth of Jesus really proves contrary ideology. The Savior and the Messiah was in fact born in a barn surrounded by animals. And later in his life, Jesus would ride into their city, not on a steed, but on a donkey. And at that time, those who had waited for hundreds of years, just like me on Christmas morning, received something very different than what they expected. With Jesus, justice came. But as we come to find through Jesus, the version of justice that we create and God's gift of justice manifest themselves very, very differently. See, when God establishes justice, every single person has an equal place at the table. All are free to belong. If there is no justice, there is injustice. And simply, injustice is described as a quality relating to unfairness or undeserved outcomes. I love that phrase, undeserved outcomes. As often takes place in the Advent season, we reflect on our journey over the previous year. And as we look back at this year, 2020, it's a year many of us would probably rather forget, but we will find a lot of snapshots of injustice that are particularly clear. Two names, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor. And when we hear those names, we often think about that phrase, injustice, undeserved outcomes. Forever, when we hear those names, we remember the injustice that is present here in our nation, where we found that, that people are treated differently and sometimes killed because of the color of their skin. That is injustice. Then, when we think about COVID-19, particularly unjust, because none of us asked for this. This is quite an undeserved outcome. But it's also adversely affecting not only those who are elderly or in poor health, but also communities of color. And why is that? I read a Harvard Medical paper that said that it's been proven that due to systemic racism, there is a distrust towards the medical community from communities of color. Further, there is a lack of healthcare options 
and a lack of insurance further stacks the deck. Then there's the homeless community. That this season and really every other season have no place to live or to dwell or to connect. I think of the children who we are really grateful to be able to provide some Christmas gifts through the Angel Tree Ministry. Children of incarcerated parents. And for them, this Advent season looks very, very different for them than it does for us. And here in 2020, we aren't living in caste systems per se, but make no mistake, the caste systems that do exist in the Eastern world and in the ancient world, they still exist today here. They might go by a different name or a different form. But when we look around, we see different levels of people present. And that is unjust. And that is undeserved. Yet the justice that's described in the scriptures is not limited to, as one called, the establishment and wise administration of a legal system that writes what goes wrong in the context of every people and nation. Instead, God's justice reimagines the creation of a society so equitable and so virtuous that regulation and administration are no longer necessary. Imagine that. See, through the birth of Jesus, God gave gave us a Savior and created a community around him that we now call Christians. And it is in this community of holiness that widows and orphans and sojourners and the poor, Nicholas Wolterstorff calls these the quartet of the vulnerable. This quartet of the vulnerable are guaranteed their fair share of protection and participation and provision through this community. The plane becomes level. As the scriptures say, the last first. And the first last. The powerful are lowered and the lowly are raised and God meets us all there in the merciful middle. In our scripture in Isaiah, he testifies that this promised justice is planet-wide, a sweeping, status quo-shattering vision. Everyone is free. There are no favorites. And Jesus is king. And under this king, everyone has direct access All are free to speak and all are free to be heard. There is an equal voice. As God administers justice, everyone's voice is on the same level with an equal experience and an equal shot at this life. Back to Isaiah 9 again. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. When I read that, I think of myself and a few others in this community that we call Anchor Church that 
I have the privilege to speak to a counselor or a psychiatrist or a psychologist or someone in the medical community who is gifted at really taking a deep dive into our brain and helping us sort out the things that are there. It's a tangled web that can become our emotional self that they are adept at sorting. And one thing that makes a really, really good counselor it's the ability to listen. And so every time I hear this phrase, he will be called wonderful counselor, this is what I think of. Jesus is the king who listens and to whom all are able to speak and to visit with and to relate. See, no longer is the king hidden in the castle, only approachable by those with means or money or those who are close to those with means or money. On the contrary, those with no power and no voice have a seat at the table with this king. And unlike the earthly kings, our king is different. Another theologian writes, through the arrival of Jesus, the time had come for God to visit the outcasts, the lost, the rejected, the sorrowful, tax collectors, and sinners were being called. The good news of the kingdom was being proclaimed to the poor. See, every single person, no matter how much power they wield in this life, will now have an equal opportunity to have their case heard with a new kind of king. And this king is well-versed in justice. And I think that this idea is especially well-represented through the first glimpses that we receive of Jesus' birth. I want to read you a couple verses. First from Luke 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flock at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace. To those whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord had told us about. Then I want to move to Matthew chapter 2. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. The star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Look at the diversity that is represented in visiting this new king. We have those with no means, shepherds. 
We have those with wealth beyond imagine, the magi, royalty. And we have heavenly hosts, the angels. Every level of personhood, and even those of the angels, are welcomed in the presence of the king of kings. See, you, me, and every single person on the earth has an audience with this king, and his name is Jesus. And we have that whenever and wherever we want it. He is a just king. And this leads us to God's ultimate shakeup of justice. That's this. We have a relationship with the king of kings. And we have an invitation to join in his salvation work. Because he has purchased our salvation for eternity. From the end of the Old Testament to the start of the New Testament, it's a period of about 400 years. And in this 400 years, God was silent. Imagine being, being one of God's people and, and through all of the Old Testament, you had revelation after revelation from God. God was speaking. It wasn't always good, but God was speaking. And then, nothing. I would have wondered, so I'm sure they wondered, had God finally given up on them? Had God finally decided that their sin was too great to overcome? Was he silent because judgment was on the way? And then, when the time had finally come, God didn't simply break his silence, but he sent his son. See, the arrival of Jesus was the start of God's plan for every human to once again have equal standing in relationship with God. Just as he had originally intended. Jesus was born to be a sacrifice for us and for our salvation from sin which is ultimate justice. See, no longer are we bound or condemned for eternity because of our sin. The Bible says that there is no longer condemnation because of Jesus. In Romans chapter five, Paul uses the phrase justified. He writes, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. See, if we in faith believe and accept Jesus as our Savior, we are saved and we are justified. In the words of the great poet Kanye West, how you get so much favor on your side? Accept him as your Lord and Savior. I replied. So God's justice then is really an invitation. It's a summons to participate in a different way of seeing and engaging in our world. And for those who accept Jesus as Savior, there is nothing left to prove. We have no more favors to repay. There are no balances to even. We are free to pursue God's justice for all people. 
What do I mean? Theologian Angela Deinhardt Hancock writes, Jesus does bring forth justice on the streets of Galilee. He lavishes care on representatives of the quartet of the vulnerable and beyond. He heals, exercises, restores, teaches, challenges. But only locally, it seems. One wound at a time, one parable at a time, and one meal at a time. So as we follow Jesus, we are invited to participate in administering his justice for others. One wound at a time, one story at a time, and one meal at a time. We as Christ followers become a vital piece to the administration of God's justice. Jesus came for us and now sends us to work on his behalf. We are a tool. We are instruments of justice in the hands of a master. We speak up for those with no voice. We care for those with no caretaker. We love those who deem themselves unlovable. As I close, I'd like to return to our text in Isaiah, chapter 42. Here's my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. Listen to this. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. This Advent season here in 2020, we once again celebrate the arrival of our just king, and his name is Jesus. He brings true, lasting, and transformative justice to every person, every nation, to the whole world. But he does it without once destroying the weak the ones who feel like a reed bruised and ready to break or like a candle ready to be snuffed out. He has arrived and he has arrived with justice for them and for you and for me and calls us to seek justice for them and for you and for me. Let's pray. Lord, we invite you into the spaces in which we find ourselves, whether that be our living room, our room, here in this space. We invite you to speak to us. We invite you to send us out 
to seek justice for the weak and the oppressed? Lord, may we be a voice for those who have no voice. May we love those who don't feel loved or don't believe that they can be loved. May we fight with and for those who don't have the means to fight. Would you help us to be instruments in the hands of the master? Lord, in this Advent season, that means the arrival, we thank you for your arrival. We thank you that through your sacrifice, justice has been administered on our behalf. And we are in right standing with you. Lord, I ask that any who haven't received this gift of your justice and of your salvation, that they would invite you to come. They would invite you to make their heart your home. That they would invite you to lead them in the ways of your justice. We love you, Lord. In your name, amen, amen. Thanks, everyone. Love you, and uh, Merry Christmas.